0: Got with Chuck, and Chuck came and helped my mom uh, not lose everything. In (laughs) fact, from 1987 to 2011 when my mom died, she lived very, very comfortably due to some very great leadership with her money. So thank you, Chuck. Mm -hmm. Chuck has been married to Linda uh, since 1970, 50-some years. Uh, We say amen. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have three children, Joel, Johanna, is that right? And Stephen, uh, Joel, or uh, Chuck, began uh, his uh, education back in 1971, and uh, continued with it clear to 2005. He's been pastor of many churches, several uh, starting down in Franklin, Kentucky, uh, all the way to Mississippi, uh, back to Kentucky, in Kentucky, bivocational vocational music director in Kentucky. Uh, Chuck has been uh, retired, um, what, since 15? 14. 14. And so he is uh, just kind of traveling around the world uh, trying to uh, (laughs) further the Lord's kingdom and and enjoying the great relationships that the Lord has brought into his life. He's been chairman of the Illinois Baptist State Association of Death Ministry. Uh, He's been president of Chicago Metro Baptist Association. Uh, And so what you're seeing is just here's a man who loves the Lord and loves the work of the Lord. And so uh, without any further ado, Chuck, you come and give us the word of God and we love you.
1: Thanks, brother. Thanks, Kirk. I met Kirk, uh, as he said, a long time ago. And then I hadn't seen him for a while, and uh, I happened to be the interim pastor at uh, Dayton Avenue Baptist Church in two thousand. Uh, if any that rings a bell to anyone, that's the I was there on a Wednesday evening. We were having our prayer meeting, and the the storm got loud, and the guy praying got louder. and as they were competing with each other, I decided, I don't care what anybody else does, I'm going to look. And I opened my eyes just as the ceiling disappeared into the heart of the tornado. Uh, and Shortly after that, I saw Kirk again, although I didn't initially recognize him because he was standing out there with a chainsaw and all kinds of gear on uh, in order to help us clear the way at the church at Dayton Avenue. That was a long time ago. Well, I'm going to look at Philippians chapter 4 today. Philippians chapter 4. If you want a title, the title is simply Adversity. He's alive and he can handle it. The truth is that the way we handle adversity says a whole lot about our relationship with God. If we really know that Jesus is alive, then we also know that he can handle whatever comes our way in response to the strife and adversity that there was in the church at Philippi which by the way I don't think we often think about the church and the philippian church being in a having adversity we think about the, whenever we think about the letter to the philippians we think this is a letter of joy and it is. It's, it's the church that was the dearest church to the Apostle Paul. He loved those folks. In fact, it's the only church that the Apostle Paul allowed to give him financial support. In fact, three times in the letter he mentions the fact that they provided for him financial support. Uh, in fact, at the very end he says, I'm grateful that you've renewed your opportunity uh, to do that with me. He calls them uh, at the uh, beginning of chapter 4 he says uh, therefore my beloved brethren whom I long to see my joy my crown in this way stand fast in the lord beloved think about that the specialness of that relationship as he talks about that church of philippi as being his joy and his crown. The term crown really refers to, it's the word stefanos, it refers to the idea of a a plaited wreath that's placed upon the head, usually awarded to a special guest at a banquet, often used as a recognition of an athlete who wins a particular contest in the Olympics. Uh, It was a crown of rejoicing, if you will. It was something that people were proud of, Paul calls the Philippian church folks his crown. He's proud of them. He rejoices in them. In fact, this concept is used repeatedly in the Old Testament as well. Uh, in Proverbs twelve four, it says, A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband. And in seventeen six, it says, Grandchildren are a crown of old men. That which you are proud of and glad to have around. This passage of Scripture, we're going to begin, really, with verse 4, and we'll read through it and then come back and, and just kind of camp out in a place or two. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, if there's a good repute about it, if there's moral excellence about it, if there's anything worthy of praise, dwell dwell on these things, the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, this is not a list in this passage of Scripture. It's not a list of disconnected admonitions, like do this and do that and be happy with this and don't do that. Uh, now, the Paul, Paul does that occasionally. In fact, if you turn your pages over a little bit to 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5, he actually does that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In verse 14 and following, he says, "We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone, see that no one repays another evil for evil, but always seek that after that which is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks." And on and on. So, so there are times when the Apostle Paul just goes down a list. Uh, of admonitions, things we ought to do, things we ought to say, things we ought to think about, and some things we ought not to do. But Philippians chapter 4 is not one of them. Philippians chapter 4 is really specifically oriented toward dealing with adversity. And again, I mentioned earlier that we don't often think about there being adversity in the church of Philippi, but there was, and the very first one that's obvious is at the beginning of this chapter. In verse 2, he says... I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared in my struggle for the cause of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Obviously, there was some kind of discord going on between these two women. But it wasn't just fresh to Philippi. Of course, Paul the Apostle mentions that they were sharing in his struggle for the cause of Christ in, in ministry in some way. And some, I don't know, maybe it was their style of ministry. Maybe it was their approach to ministry. Maybe it was the people to whom they minister. I don't know. I know that when my wife and I went to the Chicago suburbs to, share, to be pastor and wife uh, up there, we uh, spent five years in the western suburbs of Chicago. And one of the things that they were very concerned about when we came up there was our ability to relate to the, the divorced folks in that community. And there was a lot of them. Uh, and we, we enjoyed that. In fact, when when we left there, one of the complaints was we were too close to the divorced people in the community. (laughs) Sounds like a normal church to me. Uh, But anyway, uh, there was their discord. So these two women had some issue going on between them, and I don't know who the true companion is that Paul is addressing here, his yoke fellow that he calls him in some translations. Whoever that was, he's saying, look, you need to help these women so that they can live in harmony in the Lord. But it's not the only mention. If you go back to chapter 1 in Philippians, you'll notice again a mention of disharmony. In chapter 1, verse 15, Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. Are you kidding me? Really? There are people who are intentionally preaching Christ in a way that they were hoping to cause Paul more distress in his imprisonment When the Apostle Paul, you know, was in prison when he wrote this. He was expecting to be executed. uh, And they thought that they could... What is going on? So there's obviously this going on. There's UOD and Syntaki who have an issue. And in chapter 3, the Apostle Paul mentions another issue. Whether these are folks part of the congregation or not part of the congregation, I'm not sure. But in verse 18 and 19... For many walk of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, and they set their minds on earthly things. Well, I don't know about you, but all three of those situations sound like adversity to me, and there's a lot of stuff going on in this congregation that is dear to the Apostle Paul, the the most precious to the Apostle Paul, that he calls them his joy and his crown. So what do we do about adversity? Anybody here not have adversity this year? If you are, I'd like to get real close to you because you're going to be by yourself. Just, just maybe because everybody else I know has dealt with all kinds of adversity this year. If nothing else, the COVID thing. Uh, if that doesn't bother you a lot, then, the stuck, then we could talk about the politics of going on this year. Uh, just go on and on and on. Uh, If you've got kids in school, there's problems there. Kids are having a hard time with school. You've got people that are sick with COVID, there's a hard time there. You've got people in the nursing home, there's adversity there. Everywhere you look right now, people are dealing with adversity. And how you handle adversity says a whole lot about your relationship with God. Look, folks, anybody can be a Christian when everything's going well. Anybody can smile, be happy, greet one another, pat each other on the back. Anybody can do that when everything's going well. But the real test of our trust in God is what do we do when the adversity hits us? Not what do we do when adversity hits our neighbor, when we can say, God bless you, I love you, I pray for you, hope everything goes well. But what about it when it comes home? How do we deal with it? And the Apostle Paul knows that the church of Philippi, which are his dear friends, are struggling with adversity, and there's discord in that congregation, and he wants to give them some advice as to how to handle it, and so that's exactly what he does. These things that he says in chapter 4 are primarily a list of the things that ought to be done when adversity comes your way. So if you're dealing with adversity, here are the words of the Apostle Paul to you today. The first of those is in verse 4, and that is to maintain an eternal perspective. So if you're writing it down, that's number one. Maintain an eternal perspective. The Apostle Paul reminds us that the circumstances that you find yourself involved in right now are not permanent, but your relationship with God is. That's why the the Lord Jesus could say in chapter 5 of Matthew, don't worry about this stuff. And again in chapter 6, don't worry about this stuff. The Father knows you have need of all this stuff. If he takes care of the sparrow and the tree, he's going to take care of you. And on and on he would go, warning us, keep an eternal perspective. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And I will say it again, rejoice wherever you are, remember this, your circumstances are not permanent. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is, and you can always, always rejoice in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. James writes it as well, doesn't he? Count it all joy when you fall into various trials and temptations, knowing this, that your testing, your situation produces endurance. What's what's James saying? James saying. Rejoice in whatever circumstances you find yourself. Why? Because whatever's coming your way, you know that God is at work in the middle of it. You are not alone. So rejoice in the Lord always and again. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Principle number two. Verse five. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Principle number two is don't take it out on others. Let your gentleness, your gentle spirit be known to everybody. In the middle of your adversity, when your patience is running out, or maybe you already left, when you are struggling with how to cope and you really don't know how to cope. And I want to tell you something. I found out as I get older that I used to think that when I get older, I'll know how to cope. Now I'm older, and I think that I used to know how to cope. When adversity comes your way, you need to allow everybody to see your gentle spirit. Don't take it out on anybody else. If you're struggling with how to handle it, maybe it's at work, maybe it's at school, maybe it's in family relationships, maybe it's on the road, maybe it's just trying to get home in the car. Whatever it is you're struggling with, when you interact with other people, don't take it out on other people. Two examples of that that I've discovered over my career. Kirk mentioned I had a previous career in financial planning and investment advice and in all of that, I used to call up when there was a problem something went wrong, somebody made a mistake, um, and I would call up on the phone, and, and I would talk to the people on the telephone on the other end, and I would be kind to them. I'd be nice to them, and I would all say, look, I, I need your help. Can you help me fix this? And every year, I would go to that home office on a visit, due diligence, I wanted, to find, I wanted to meet the people that are making the decisions. I wanted to talk to the people that are coming up with new product and things like that. And I would go up there at my own expense, arrange for appointments, get to visit with people. And I found out that the directors of the various com- areas of that business were scheduling their schedules around my visit so they could be around when I was there because I was different. Because most of the time when there was a problem, people would call up the phone and say, What's the matter with you bunch of idiots up there? Can't you do things right? That's just stupid. You'd be nice to people. The other time that I ran into this, my wife was with me, and we were in a, a, a town in north north part of Dayton, uh, and uh, there had been a big event scheduled, and apparently the manager of this particular fast food restaurant blew it. He He didn't... Didn't plan well. He didn't have enough people, personnel to handle it. And we walked into the fast food restaurant, and there were four lines. They were all backed up, six and eight people long, waiting to get fast food. And uh, so we made our way. We were about number six in the line, and we made our way up. And the guy in front of me had been stewing for about half an hour. And when he got to the counter, he just unloaded on that girl on the other side taking the order. And he ranted about, the, you know, fast food and he ranted about this and all that kind of stuff and said some things that were definitely not nice and said some things he shouldn't have said. Uh, and he stomped out of there with his order. And I stepped up and I looked across at this teenage girl. And um, her lip was quivering. And on her name tag, it said, trainee. And I leaned across the counter. You know what people do when you do that? They lean over too because they think you're going to say something soft. So she leans over close. And I said, there are some things in this world worth being upset about. This ain't one of them. And she smiled. I had that much time to make a positive contribution to a young lady and not take it out on her Whatever comes your way, whatever the adversity is, the Apostle Paul reminds us that we are not to take it out on others, that we are to allow our gentle spirit to be noticed by everybody, to be witnessed by everybody around us. And then he says, because the Lord is near. Now, don't misunderstand. He's not saying the Lord is near because he's going to show up and surprise you. That's not the point. The Lord is near to help you with that. When you are in the midst of the adversity and you are stressed beyond measure and you want somebody to strike out at, remember this the Lord is nearby to help you through this. If there was anybody who ever exemplified what it was like to endure adversity and misunderstanding and accusations that were false, it was Jesus. And not one time in his whole life did he ever take it out on anybody else. He is our example, he's the one to follow. And we must be like Him. And Jesus said it Himself in Matthew 5, Let your good works, let your light shine so that they will see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And in the middle of adversity is the exact place to let that happen. Don't take it out on others. The Lord is nearby to help. The next thing is found in verse 6, verse A: Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Nothing. Don't worry about it. So the word is simply stop worrying. Stop worrying. Stop it. It doesn't help a thing. You can't change a thing by worrying about it. Somebody told me one time that a good definition of worry. Think it over one more time. All over the Scripture, we're reminded to not worry. Jesus said it in Matthew 5, in Matthew six. For this reason, I say to you, don't be anxious for your wife, your life, as to what you shall eat or what you'll drink, or for your body as to what you'll put on. Is not life more than food? Is not the body more than clothing? Or First Peter five, right? casting all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He does. He really, really does. Stop worrying. You realize that as vulnerable as all of us are to this idea of worrying because we're all fallen, right? We're all sinners by nature. Uh, Rescued sinners, certainly. Saved sinners, certainly. But we still deal with the sin nature, and it is our natural tendency to worry because we want to take control of the situation, and we can't. Let me give you some relief. There are two times the Bible says you're not allowed to worry. Two times. Clearly, the Bible teaches that there are two times when you are not permitted to worry. First time, you're not allowed to worry when you can do something about it. Simple principle, right? Because if you can do something about it, then do something about it. Worrying's not going to help a bit, but action can. So if you can do something about it, then do something about it. But if you can't, that's the other one. The other time you're not allowed to worry is when you can't do anything about it. Because if you can't do anything about it, worrying is not going to help either. So if you can find anything between what, what you can do something about and what you can't do anything about, then you're permitted to worry biblically. It'll take some of you a little while to think that one through. I know what it's like to be anxious, believe me. Again, when I was in the business and had a lot of clients, um, I had a former employee and former employer to sue us, essentially to put us out of business. Took us to court. Actually set me up to, with an attempt to try to get me to violate the temporary injunction. And that doesn't make any difference how right you think you are. There's always the possibility that you don't know something. And then there's something you don't know that you don't know. And you're going into a court and it's always a possibility that the liars can lie well enough to persuade others that they're right. And it was not easy for me to sleep leading up to that court time the truth of the matter, when all was said and done, the court ruled in our favor on all four situations. But I was anxious, folks, and I did not do well with what Paul was telling the Philippian church to do. Don't worry. Stop worrying. Just stop. it. actually, that's actually the way it's written. You know, ours says, be anxious for nothing or something like that. But the actual Greek says, stop worrying. He already knows they're worrying. He's not telling them, well, sometime in the future, you know, don't be anxious. No, he's saying, quit it. Just quit it. Stop it. The last part of verse 6 gives us the next point. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, along with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That is, be grateful and pray. Be grateful and pray. Pray specifically. What is it that is causing you to be anxious God about that. He is alive. He can handle it. Talk to God about the specific situation that is causing you to lose your peace. The situation is not permanent. Your relationship with God is. The same combination is used in other places in the scripture. The same combination of prayer and supplication, or prayer and earnest pleading. The word prayer is a general word. It has to do with generally approaching God with things. The other word, the supplication, is a word that is more intense. It has to do with intense pleading with God. So in everything, in everything, by prayer and intense pleading with God, let your requests be made known to God. In other words, be grateful and pray Be grateful for what you have, and pray about what you need. When uh, I first came to Dayton, the uh, director of missions uh, in the Greater Dayton Association loved to fish. And when he retired, that's one of the things he spent a lot of time doing. He and I were part of the same church fellowship at the time, and he told the story about going fishing, and uh, His wife was sitting on one end of the boat, and he's sitting on the other end of the boat, and his wife is pulling him in. As fast as she could bait and put it out, she was getting him again, and she's pulling him in the boat. And he's sitting over there. He hadn't caught but one all day. And finally, he looked at her. He says, look, we're sitting in the same boat. We're five or six feet apart. You're pulling in fish like crazy, and I've got one. What's the deal? I don't get it. She said, well, I just prayed about it before we went fishing. Did you? Now, you know, that's a little thing, right? But one of the, some of the greatest stories in the Bible about fishermen, right? Peter, go down there and catch a fish and bring it back, and what do you get? You got a token in the fish's mouth. Belonged to Caesar, right? Hey, guys, just throw the net on the other side. And they got so many fish, they had a hard time bringing it to shore. Pray about everything. You know, there's nothing too small if it concerns you. If it concerns you, God's interested. Talk to him about it. Don't let your relationship with God be so formal that you feel like you've got to wait until it's a big deal to talk to God about it. Hey, do you wait until it's a big deal before you talk to your husband and wife about stuff? Please don't. You know, you talk about all kinds of stuff. You talk about stuff that nobody cares about, but you two, You know, Cushions on the dining room table, the chair, right? I don't care. My grandkids don't care. But mama cares, right? We talk about that stuff. Why? Because it matters to us as a couple, as a relationship thing. Don't wait until something's a big deal before you talk to God. Talk to Him about it. In everything, talk to God. He is, by the way, He can handle it. He can handle it. You cannot give God more requests than he can handle. So don't worry about it. He would much rather you talk to him more often than less. I think sometimes God would say to us, if if we were listening, if we were listening, I think sometimes he'd say, why didn't you come to me weeks ago? Why, Why did you wait? There's so much more to be said about proactive praying, and that's for another time, I suppose. But be grateful and pray. Be grateful for what you have. Pray about what you need. The next principle is found in verse 7, and it says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That is to proceed in confident peace. Proceed with confident peace. Go forward with confident peace because... The peace of God, which is beyond our ability to comprehend, there's no way to explain how. There's no way to explain how God's peace captivates our lives and controls our lives. And in fact, it is that very inability to comprehend it by others who are not saved that gives you a door opening to talk about Jesus when they simply cannot understand how is it that you can have such peace peace in the midst of this difficulty because God's peace personally stands guard over your hearts and your minds. And that's exactly the term. The word in all, some translations says it will keep your hearts and minds. My translation says it will guard your hearts and minds because it is a military term. It's a military term for a, a military person to stand his post. And so if you will pray Let God know all of your requests and everything. Give thanks to the Lord and pray. If you'll do that, the peace of God will stand guard over your heart and over your mind. Over your hearts, your emotions, and over your mind, your thinking. His peace will be the guard, the sentry at his post in both of those areas. Proceed in confident peace. By the way, you know... That our God is called, at the end of this passage, the God of peace. Jesus is referred to as the Prince of Peace, and the fruit of the Holy Spirit is peace. It's a big deal for God. It is a big deal for God that you live your life in peace, that you have a confident peace. Your confidence is in the Lord God himself, that he's alive and he can handle it. You have a great deal of confidence, not in your ability. And then the Apostle Paul said in, to the Corinthians, What makes us adequate for this stuff? Nothing, for our adequacy is from God. He is adequate, we're not. And so our trust is that He can handle it, whatever it is that's coming our way. If you're dealing with family situations that are just bad, you can be at peace because He can handle it. If you're dealing with financial situation, it's a miserable situation, and you see no way out, talk to him about it, he's alive, he can handle it, you go forward in peace. Whatever it is, whatever it is, he's alive and he can handle it. And so go forward in confident peace. Number eight, or the next one in verse eight. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, Of good reputation, of moral excellence, anything that's worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Dwell on these. Dwell on these. Refuse to be dragged into pessimism, negativity, and a worldly-like victimhood. Refuse it. And I would suggest that you limit your news intake to about once a week. I don't watch the news. I have a couple of people that I trust that I tune in to them and I'm not talking about talk shows. I check with them on what's going on. I don't have time for all this. Do you know that 90% of the stuff they're talking about did not happen, will not happen, has not happened, is not happening. They're all talking about what might happen. Who cares? I, got an, I told my kids when they came, we had our had our gathering for Thanksgiving, and we, we, had, we had all the kids and grandkids that we could get. <clears throat> and we, we did a count, by the way, we ended up with 10. Ha! How about that? <clears throat> we didn't turn anybody away. It just happened to be that way. And I told them, I said, I do not have time to listen to all this stuff. I refuse to watch the news. I'm, I'm just not going to do it. That is a choice that I can make. And I want to suggest to you, if you want a healthier mental state, stop listening to that stuff. I don't care whether you're this left wing or in the middle or nobody. I don't care. It's all just a bunch of fear-mongering. They're all talking about what might happen. Okay, I'll get off that horse for now. But focus on what is good. There's so much. There's so much good in this world. There's so many people that do good things and do right things. And so I think it's valuable for us to focus on what is good, what is true, what is right, what's honorable, what's pure, what's lovely. Dwell on those things. Don't let the negativity compromise your life. If you do, you cannot possibly have the kind of optimistic attitude And trust in the Lord and anticipation of His arrival again. So that you can live in peace and talk about that sense of confidence in God. You'll never be able to do that if all you're focusing on is the negativity in the world in which you live. Focus on what's good. He's alive, He can handle it. By the way, I found out a couple of years ago when one of my favorite ball teams was playing a game, it was a critical ball game and the power went out. Do you know I found out that the results of that game with just the I was watching or not? (laughs) Look, whatever's going on in our culture right now, you do what you can do. Let's just just take the election, okay? I'm not going to talk about just one part of it. That is, I voted, I did my part, The rest is up to all the rest of the idiots. You know, whatever, I can't do anything about the rest of it. I don't care! I am not going to be sucked into that negativity. I refuse to watch 36 different people tell me what might happen. I don't care what might happen. I did my part. I did what I could do. I'm done with it. They'll let me know later, and it doesn't make a bit of difference whether I'm watching or not watching, the results are going to be the same with or without me. Okay, so that's my only thing on the, the election thing. I didn't even talk to you about how I voted. I don't care. The, the point is, focus on what is good. Let's be part of the good people. Let, let's be part of the campaign for good by the way, I, I like some of the stuff I heard in the announcements today. I'm encouraged by the fact that you guys have been creative in ways to reach out and touch the lives of people for good, doing good things, kindnesses is expressed, which even if you don't get a chance to explain why, you're still letting your good works be demonstrated in such a way as that they will eventually know somewhere or another that you're doing it because you love Jesus do what is good. And then the lastly, Paul says in verse 9, the things that you've learned and received, the things that you have heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, don't misunderstand. This is not a cause effect. He's not saying, if you do good, God will be with you. He's not saying that. He's not saying, he didn't say, if you practice these things, God will be with you. He didn't say that. He's saying, and remember, the God of peace will be with you as you do this. As you practice these things that you have learned, and you've embraced them, received them, and you've seen them in me, a mentor, do those things. Do what you always. So the end is: continue doing what you know you should do. Continue doing what you know you should do. And remember, just as earlier in the gentle spirit, the Lord is near, again, the God of peace is with you as you do that. So there it is. He's alive. He can handle it. Maintain an eternal perspective. The situation is not permanent your relationship with Jesus is. Don't take it out on others. They're neither the cause nor the cure of your situation. Love those folks. Be gentle. Let your gentleness be known to all of them. Stop worrying. Worrying doesn't help. You can't change a thing by it. Be grateful and pray. Pray specifically. Proceed in confident peace because His peace will guard your hearts and minds. Focus on all that is good and continue doing what you know you should do. One last comment as we close. The Apostle Paul says four times in this section of Scripture, in the Lord. He says it in verse 1, stand fast, stand firm in the Lord. In verse 2, they are to live in harmony in the Lord. Verse 4, they are to rejoice in the Lord. And then again in verse 7, <clears throat> the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You can stand for fast. You can live in harmony. You can rejoice. And you can have peace. But the key to it all is the words that Paul said just before he entered into this piece, just before he entered into this section when he said, Our citizenship is in heaven from where we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our body of low condition and make it conform to the body of His glory. That's why we can do these things. If you do not know that same Savior, the Lord Jesus, the one who gave His life for us, who died for us in our place, who took our punishment upon Him, so that His Holy Spirit then lives in us and empowers us and enables us, and He stands nearby to help, If you don't know him, then some of this is going to be tough. But knowing him and knowing that he's near and the Holy Spirit enables, we know that we can do precisely what he's asked us to do. If you are in the midst of adversity of some kind, just remember, your adversity is not permanent. Your relationship with the Lord is, and he's alive, and he can handle it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so very much for what you have said to us through the Apostle Paul, to his precious friends at Philippi. Lord, we pray that you will help us to follow these words of encouragement in our times of adversity, sometimes a little adversity, sometimes a lot. And Lord, Help us to be the kind of people that we represent the good stuff going on. We exhibit peace. We rejoice. We live in harmony. And help us, Lord, to do that in such a way that our gentleness is observed by all those who watch. And they'll be wondering about how in the world can these folks enjoy peace like this. And we know it's because you are there. Lord, if there's anybody here among us today who has not yet embraced the Lord Jesus as Savior, I pray that today you will stir their hearts and draw them by your Spirit. We pray it all in the name of Jesus. And amen. We're going to sing a song as we wrap it up today. And as we do, I encourage you uh, to respond to what the Lord says to you. Um, like I say, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, hey, this is a great place to be. Jesus is a great Savior to follow. Let's stand together as we sing and you follow the Lord. If you're already a Savior, already a Christian, you're saved, hey, that's cool. This is a great chance for you to dedicate your life to being obedient to what the Lord has said to us today through the letter to the Philippians.